there. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. God is good. Okay, well, uh, I have a little testimony to share. I thought I'd wait till we get up here. I was a little bit late this morning, and uh, for a reason, some of you heard, I think, already, and uh, some of you haven't, but uh, about, about 9 o'clock this morning, maybe about 5 after, I was looking over my notes and going over the little book and what scriptures and what illustrations and just going over finalizing things there and and I'm in the living room and uh, I'm the only one in the living room and I hear this big noise coming out and this thud and and uh, I thought what Kelsey is our neighbor I thought oh he's got his dump truck out going or something and Pip jumps our little dog you know he's well, what's going on? he starts growling you know and I, what is going on. And it was enough to the point where I thought, well, I'm going to go outside and check this out a little bit there. And I'm wandering around. I go out the front, look out the front. Oh, it looks fine out there. I get out the back on our little back deck there. And I look over, and here's our section of our fence about that high up in the air. Well, and, uh, and then I hear, I see the big root ball of this tree sticking up out. And here's our house. And here's our neighbor's house. And he's got a little woodshed right here, and he's got a little shop right here. And here's the fence. Comes down. And here's a tree. It was right there. <laughs> and it was laying down wow. right there. And I thought, God is good. I mean, it could have come hit our house. It could have come hit Kelsey's house. It even missed his shed. He said, I wish it would have hit my shed. I'm <laughs> 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 well, sorry about that, partner. But uh, I just... And, you know, of course, it's, 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 it falls over. It's taken up, you know, sections of fence, his and mine. And uh, so I said, well, well, we'll get the insurance companies out there. And so we're, you know, we got to just leave it. You know? Of course, it's big. It was, it's probably 120, 150 feet tall. It was a tall one, you know, and uh, it would have probably about that big around, you know, at the base. You know, it would have, if it would have hit a house, it would have, it would have crunched it. And, uh, but that's where it fell. And I thought, Wow. But uh, at the same time, I also thought that, you know, there's always an illustration in everything that happens to us in life. And, and uh, you look at this tree and, and, you know, the ground just got so saturated. It was just, it was just mud. And you see this tree on, its, on the ground and you see the root ball. And you know, it wasn't much of a root ball. And so you can understand why it came down and that's just such an illustration if our if our roots of our heart are reaching deeper and deeper into Christ himself and into God's word when the storms come like Jesus said it will fall and great 
will be its fall. This was a great fall. And that tree is done. And uh, But there's something there for us to learn from. But also just the, the tender mercies of God that He guided that tree right where it fell. It's just amazing. So... Yeah, it was funny that the neighbor's dog, you know, it, it pulled up the fence, so now you know, the dogs can go in back and forth. <laughs> oh my, this is going to be interesting. And uh, he was over there, but yeah, so that's that's a little testimony this morning there. Little, little pre-sermon sermon there, if you will, like Glenn what likes to have. What was that? What time was that? Right, just a little after nine o'clock this morning. Yeah. Oh, it was quite a noise. It was kind of interesting. Big thud. I went outside, and one of our big dogs was just a nervous wreck, which you can imagine. Let me in, please. Let me come inside. And so, so we we brought her in. But uh, yeah, just this morning, this happened. Just uh, caught our attention. So anyway, um, interesting. I mean, I thought about what I have to share here and I think it's just very applicable to what we've already heard and it's very applicable to what's been going on the last well this last year you know uh, every you know we've heard this phrase you know goodbye 2020 ah yuck and, and um I hope 2021 isn't like this year and, and this this past year. And and I've done it myself. I, I, I confess that. I, and now that I think about it more, I have to humbly confess that and I probably ask for your forgiveness because where is there room in the heart of a believer for true complaining and griping, basically, from the heart, you know? So um, I think, well... Maybe we need to look at 2020 through a different set of lenses. You know, is God sovereign? Is he? Yeah. Was he surprised at anything that happened in 2020? You think? No. It, nothing caught him off guard. Um, he was in perfect control of everything. Did the Chinese make the virus? We don't know. God does. Is that good enough for us? It should be. No. Was the election rigged? Oh, we all have opinions on that. Does God know? Yeah, he does. Could he have turned it the other way around? You think he could have? Yeah, he could have. He didn't. Are we okay with that? Is that maybe hard for some of us? Yeah. Does that make it bad? Just because something's hard, we think is hard, does that make it bad? No. I kind of tend to think that God is trying to really, really wake his people up in this land. Right. I really think he's really, and I, I'm saying 
every believer, every gospel-preaching church, whether it's Anabaptist, Evangelical, Protestant, you name it, whatever. I think I think he's really trying to wake his people up. And this ties right into the next little phrase of verse 2 of Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I've been guilty of this, but I think many, many, many believers in America have been guilty of this, that we've had this notion, this idea that green pastures means we have certain people in office and certain laws passed, and we deal with the people that gave us this rotten virus, and we put them where they belong, and, and you know we do those kinds of things, and then we'll have green pastures. God help us. I think the Lord would very firmly, maybe lovingly, say, you need to let me define what green pastures are. And trust me. Injustices everywhere. Double standards. Fraud. Hypocrisy. Heartache. It's been hard. Death is hard. Sickness is hard. It's not fun. God doesn't even take delight in the death of the wicked. Precious in the sight is the death of his godly ones. Some people got to go home. That's hard for us. It's good for them. But it doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it uh, necessarily a hindrance to the advancement of his kingdom. In fact, uh, as I step back and, and think about everything that's happened, again, I think God's trying to wake it, God's people up. And uh, that doesn't make all this stuff, it doesn't make all that happened in 2020 bad. Hard, but not bad. How do we look at it? How do we go forward? The way to life is death. If you want to hold on to something, you let go. God's ways don't make sense to us. If you want to be filled, you have to empty yourself. You've got you to just let off and come to God with an empty cup. Because anything you try to put in there yourself, God's going to say, dump it out. Dump it out. Nope. Nope. Give me an empty cup. Let me clean it. Let me cleanse it. Let me fill it. Trust me. Trust in the Lord. Let Him define what green pastures are. Okay.
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I like that. He maketh me. He makes me. Human nature doesn't like that phrase. I'm going to make you do this. Ho, ho, ho. No. Thing. Well, 
I learned that, you know what? And the devil knows this. Uh, a church body will be very ineffective in the advancement of God's kingdom if there is a lot of mistrust within that God's people have to trust him. First of all, you've got to trust God. Then to that, you can trust others. If that's not there, tremendous hindrance in the advancement of his kingdom. Through that truth. We all know that. Sometimes it's good to just remember that because of the importance of that love and that peace and that being free from agitation and disturbances. It's got to be in place. The devil knows that and he's going to do everything he can to whisper little things in each one of our ears can grow more and more in that simple fact, those simple promises. 
do with that situation. he forsaken his people because Donald Trump is not going to be president. See, that's a little bit silly, but that's real. It's real right now for a lot of people in this land. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you young people say, I, I can't identify with that. Praise God. I hope you can. But there's a lot of people out there that do. And he may call on some of you to minister to some of them. Ten percent unemployment across the country. 
interest rates were pushing right around 20%, 20%, on your mortgage? That's what it was. Good bad. Inflation rate, you know, inflation is, is, is prices going up to over 10%, the three big indicators of economic change for all the double digits. But see, when I was your age, I was broke and going to college and so it didn't sink into me as much, that much. That was the first year that I voted. And, of course, we voted for a, for a change. And uh, that was the first year Ronald Reagan got put into office. Jimmy Carter got voted out. And uh, that was a big deal that year. And uh, so that was, they had just legalized voting for 18-year-olds, I think, something like that. I don't know. And uh, so, but those were all factors that were there in place. It wasn't very pretty. America wasn't real pretty. There was a lot of discouragement. You know, it was the time you've probably heard of the the uh, the hostages that were caught in uh, trapped in uh, Iran at time for over a year, and uh, that was weighing heavy on the country. You know, there was just a lot of up unrest. Going on, people were worried and upset, and uh, and I was to some degree, but because I was right where you guys were, it didn't hit me as much. So if it this if this doesn't hit you as much as maybe it does some others, I, I praise the Lord. I be thankful for that, um, but understand that there's some of us that kind of watch these things a little bit more. Maybe we shouldn't. That it's 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 a challenge for some of us older ones, to let go of some of these things. And yet I sense God saying, let go. My children, let go. By hanging on to the United States of America and what you want it to be, you're getting yourself wrapped up in fear. You're not trusting me that I'm leading you to a green pasture. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Free from fear. The second one. Second source of fear from which the sheepman delivers his sheep is that of tension, rivalry, cruel competition within the flock itself. Okay? In every animal society, there is established an order of dominance or status within the group. In a pin full of chickens... It is referred to as the pecking order. With cattle, it is called the horning order. Among sheep, we speak of the budding order. Uh, generally, an arrogant, cunning, and domineering old ewe will be boss of any bunch of sheep. And that's true. I remember seeing it with my dad's cows, but in particular the bulls. You know, he, he would raise up his cows and, excuse me, and uh, hoping to get bulls to be able to sell them, and uh, but so he he the bulls they'd start growing up, and then they'd get weaned from their mamas, and he'd have them in the corral. And <clears throat> I remember one time in particular, I don't know, he had another bull he had to separate for a while, brought one in to the corral, and there was a bunch of maybe fifteen bulls in there in this corral he had one time, and that poor new bull that got brought in the bunch that just right off the bat they just pounded that poor guy into the ground mercilessly said you know i mean basically saying listen boy 
you're new here and you're not the boss. This one over here is. The, the one that was kind of the, the top bull, he didn't really get involved all that much. It was the others he had in control underneath him. You're shaking your head. You've, you've seen that too. And uh, that just beat this poor boy down into the ground. And I, man, lie, this is, but that's how it is. You know what? In our very human nature, we're all the same way. Because we like to compare ourselves with other people with the notion that, well, I'm, I'm one notch ahead of this one. I'm, I'm better, a little bit better than this one. I'm, in church, it could be I'm a little bit more righteous than this one because I don't do this and this and this and this, and they, they do that over there. And it's our nature. And it's a nature that needs to die. And I'm not, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying I see a lot of that here. Honestly, I don't. It's a blessing. People ask me, how's church going? Somebody asked me the other day, how's church going? I think I, my testimony to bless all of you and encourage all of you is I, I think it's going well, really well. We have peace amongst the brethren. There isn't anybody here that's got an agenda they're trying to pull this way or that way, and, and it's beautiful, and uh, it's very precious, and uh, especially for our young people, right? Some of you have been around long enough. You've seen heartache and pain, and, and you're old enough to remember some of those times, and now you've, you've seen a relative peace. And I thank the Lord for that. It's beautiful. It's not always that way, though. There is going to be a pecking order. Someone, there, if someone's heart is really not truly right in right standing, they're going to leave themselves susceptible to want to start comparing themselves with others and trying to one-up somebody else, so to speak, and impress others. It's called pride and arrogance, and it's got to die for Christ to be seen through that individual. Okay. Uh, better keep moving along here. Now he talked about his sheep that, you know, there, there'd always be one that would just want to just put one down and, and uh, one up all the others. <clears throat> but he says, but one point that always interested me very much was that whenever I, the shepherd, came into view and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalry, rivalries and stopped their fighting. The shepherd's presence made all the difference in their behavior. This, to me, has always been a graphic picture of the struggle for status in human society. There is the eternal competition to keep up with the Joneses, or as it is now, keep up with the Joneses' kids. And any business firm, any office, any family, any community, any church, any human organization or group, be it large or small, the struggle for self-assertion and self-recognition goes on. Most of us fight to be quote, top sheep. We butt and quarrel and compete to get ahead. And in the process, people are hurt. Very true. People get let down. Precious souls in God's eyes get hurt and pushed down. And it's a shame. It's not right. But when... And here's what comes to my mind. See, even for a church body, let's say we've got a church body that's, that's struggling along. And you bring in some preacher and have a, have a weekend of meetings and hope that 
God, it can bring some revival. It seems like sometimes during that time when you sense in a greater way God's presence amongst you, it does seem to humble people. And people tend to take their eyes off themselves in a situation like that and look at their, their brethren with a, more of an eye of love and appreciation. Uh, but you get through a week into meetings and you go another week and you go two more weeks and where are we then? That's the real test. Are we relying on emotions to get us through, to help us through, or are we walking day by day with our Savior, embracing Him calling us to be servants and looking to bless others and not try to one-up somebody else, not try to get that word in, not try to impress this person or that person, whatever it might be. Not trying to have the, you know, get the top notch of of status within the group. Uh, it's a tendency, it's a human nature tendency that uh, we've all got to keep an eye out and guard our hearts against. So... Anyway, let me carry on here. Now this is good and applies for today. It is here that much jealousies arise. This is where petty peeves grow into horrible hate. It is where ill will and contempt come into being. The place where heated rivalry rivalry and deep discontentment is born. It is here that discontent contentment uh, gradually grows into a covetous way of life where one has to be forever standing up for himself for his rights standing up just to get ahead of the crowd in contrast to this the picture in the psalm shows us god's people lying down in quiet contentment one of the outstanding marks of a christian should be a serene sense of gentle contentment godliness with contentment is great gain amen very true um, and it is when you know we get to that point and that peace and that rest becomes so precious to us all we can think about is just giving Jesus away to other people and if I get nothing back it's okay I love my Savior I found that place of rest it is so sweet and I cherish it and I love it and I want other people to have it so I'll just want to just give it away give it away, give it away. That is being free indeed. It's a wonderful place to live. <clears throat> but when you've got church, churches where there's such mistrust, man, I remember, oh my, mistakes I made, mistakes that were made. Years ago, many years ago, when I was in my 20s, I go into a church body that uh, uh, had a it was a, it was a, a denomination had a government set up where you have a pastor and then they have a, a district pastor that would oversee diff- different districts. Some of you, you you can kind of identify. You remember um, kind of like a bishop, I guess. But in the Mennonite church, you've got other pastors that there was a pastor over a church in a certain town, but he also was kind of an overseer over the pastor in the church in these other little towns over here. He would kind of set it up that way. And uh, it was kind of set up like that. But 
we had a a situation where you'd have a pastor over a church, and then you have what was called a council. And the council, they weren't really kind of like deacons, I guess. They were kind of oversaw some of the administrative things and that kind of thing and and uh but we had a pastor that really broke trust and i was on the council with with two or three other brothers there and we just did not handle it right man oh man we uh Sorry. Wish I could change things. Uh, there was a lot of mistrust. Man, the mistrust was just deep. To the point where we, as three of this four council brothers, we basically pushed this pastor into a corner. And in a gentle way, I guess, Kind of said, look, buddy, it's it's you or us. I wish we'd have done it different. He left. I thought, man, as I look back now, I thought, well, if anybody won regarding non-resistance and suffering love, it was him, not us. It would have been better. It would have been better for this pastor. Who, he did have issues. He, he, really, he should not have been in ministry. But neither should have we been on a council the way we handled it either. It would have been better for him to just watch people walk away, walk away, walk away, to let him see the effect that his life is having on others. And hopefully, then through that, God would open his eyes and say, man, Lord, what am I doing wrong? But it didn't work out that way. But I look at that situation as a classic example of church leaders in a church body where there is absolutely no trust. Well, things aren't going to turn out right. People walk away hurt. People walk away bitter, angry. And why? Ultimately, it's because we're not walking in the contentment of Christ. We've got our eyes on ourselves. We're trying to one-up somebody else. There's friction in the flock. The sheep are not going to lay down and rest. <clears throat> okay, number three. As is the case with freedom from fear of predators or friction within the flock, the freedom of fear from the torment of parasites and insects is essential to the contentment of the sheep. This aspect of their behavior will be dealt with in a greater detail in later on. But it is nevertheless important to mention it here. Sheep, especially in the summer, can be driven to absolute distraction by nasal flies, bot flies, warble flies, and ticks. Man, I suppose I would be too if I was bothered by them things. When tormented by these pests, it is literally impossible for them to lie down and rest. You can imagine. You try to imagine. To deal with them kind of pests. It's hard. Some of you... You know, some may have physical issues here, real physical issues. And uh, and trust me, the older you get, the more you're going to get. Sorry. Uh, but uh, 
it it makes it tough. It's a distraction, and uh, you know we've we've got some some dear brethren that are very very sick right now. I think of Catherine. I think of Anne recovering, but still just slow, trudging through mud. Don't think that doesn't affect them in their heart and, and makes them weary and tired. Say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm physically tired and shot. I'm weary. Help me. It affects you. It's a test. I saw a little video clip here just recently by Johnny Erickson Tata. She's getting old now. She might be close to 70, I'm not sure. But it starts off with, Hello there, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata. I battle with depression. And you think about it. She's been in that wheelchair for, I think, at least 50 years now. I think it was the early 70s. Her accident took place. She was young, I think 17 years old, looking at life, looking at life ahead with a lot of, you know, you know, if you've got hope, if you've got a vision, which I hope you do, you look at life, you're young, you're healthy, and there's a lot of life ahead, and boom, one accident, her life completely changed. You have to step back and say, wow, you know, I think if I was if I was honest with myself, I'd have to say I probably would be battling with depression too if I was her. You know, I I'm not gonna criticize her for that. Who who wouldn't have that battle? With those kinds of physical limitations for that many years. You'd get tired of it. Sure you would. Okay, only the diligent care of the owner who keeps a constant lookout for these insects will prevent them from annoying his flock. A good shepherd will apply various types of insect repellents to a sheep. He will see that they are dipped to clear their fleeces of ticks. And he will see that there are shelter belts of trees and bush available where they find refuge and release from their tormentors. Almost always uppermost in his mind, the shepherd's mind, is the aim of keeping his flock quiet, contented, and at peace. Uh, you say, well, how does, how does Jesus do that for us? Well, first of all, he, is, he guides and leads, and it does take some faith from our part. We have to believe him that he is there, and that if I'm agitated by something over here or something over there or whatever it might be. It's good to search our own hearts and say, okay, why? Why am I agitated? Why do I have this? This feels like flies all around me all the time. Well, there are times, maybe you're hanging out with some friends that just, hey, come on. 
They're more of a fly and a pest to you to try and agitate you and bother you, to drag you down. And the practical solution is you either start preaching to them and tell them about Jesus and they'll either get saved or walk away from you or maybe you just have to walk away yourself. I remember one particular church split that we went through years ago and there was a, there was an evil spirit that was I could tell and I talked to our other elder and he said yes and I talked to another another brother yes there there's something here that's just in the way it was a spirit and it was it's hard to say but he was using a particular family to just stir things up and stir things up and stir things up. And I remember thinking to myself, if we could just break free from this thing, we could begin to get somewhere and make some progress. And things would clear up, the fog would leave. And But there was this spirit that just kept, uh, uh, like, like flies, just ever there and just won't go away and just go away. And finally, again, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. What could I have done different? Uh, we ended up with a split, and that was the unfortunate thing that freed us from that spirit. It did free us from that spirit. And yes, about six or seven years later, the brother of that particular family came to me, humbly apologized. Oh, boy, that was precious. And we got to embrace each other and hug each other. I had to tell him, I said, man, I didn't handle things right either, you know. Don't think I did everything just right. I need to ask you to forgive me for things I did wrong in this whole thing too. And so two brothers got to embrace each other and let go. And uh, that was, But it was too bad it had to happen that way. It still had to happen. But I, I think of that as an example of... of parasites just in the way that just you need to break free from sometimes you have to make tough decisions it's good and right to want to reach out to someone with the gospel but there may be times where you have to step back and say i've done what i can and i feel like i'm beginning to get drugged down by this person it may be time to say, okay, I'm going to back up. I'm going to connect with my friends that lift me up instead of those that seem to have flies all around them and drag me down. I hope that makes sense. <clears throat> there, are no, there are the, the annoyances and petty frustrations of ever-recurring disagreeable experiences. In modern terminology, we refer to these as upsetting circumstances or people as being bugged um, one thing of my own character that I will share with you to guard your heart against I've shared this before and I know it's kind of oxymoronish if you could use that term but you know I I humbly say that I, I struggle with people I, I have a lack of patience with people who have a lack of patience with people You can say, okay, then, brother, then what you're saying is you have a lack of patience for people. I know. But it bugs me when I 
See, <laughs> I get impatient when I see others being impatient. If, well, brother, come on. I know, I know. But uh, th- those things, being bugged is, is the term being used here. Uh, is there an antidote for them? Well, yes. There's been many, many times through the years, many times through the years, God has gently tapped on my shoulder. Mike, charity suffereth long and is kind. Yes, Lord, I know, I know. And by the way, son, I've extended way more patience toward you than I'll ever ask you to extend towards anybody else. I know, Lord, I know. Just a few little things how God has dealt with me, I share with you. Maybe they can minister to you. (laughs) Charity suffereth long and is kind. Okay, Lord, help me to be that. Okay. Can one come to the place of quiet contentment despite them, the flies and the annoyances? The answer for for the one in Christ's care is definitely yes. He comes to assist. The Spirit of God comes to assist. Often a helpful approach is to simply say aloud, Oh, Master, this is beyond me. I can't cope with it. It's bugging me. I can't rest. Please take over. Then it is He who does take over in His own wondrous way. He applies the healing, soothing effect, effective antidote of His own person and presence to my particular problem because of the assurance that He has... uh, He has become active on my behalf. Speaking of the Spirit of God, there steals over me a sense of quiet contentment. I am then able to lie down in peace and rest, all because of what he does. You know, I shared with you one time before, but again, it's been an illustration in my life that God has used a lot when I get tempted to be impatient. And I shared with you the, the story of that baseball game that I was a part of when I was 12 years old and, and I was the catcher and Agapito was the pitcher and he just throwing pitches everywhere and all over the place. And I'm so tired and beat up after that game. And 40 years later, the Lord brings that back to my memory and says, Mike, now I still want you to be a catcher. I want you to catch those wild pitches. So when people start saying things to you and doing things and throwing flies and and parasites, and, and they, you know, God sent you, I'm calling you to be a catcher. You be a catcher. You catch them. Lord, the catcher gets beat up and dirty and tired, and yes, I know. He says, yes, I know. He does. And I'm calling you to be that. Oh, boy. But I'll remind you, we won that game. And three years later, that same pitcher, Agapito, who was wild crazy, he was one of our best pitchers. And when we won that game, we were the district champions. When we won three years later with Agapito as a much better pitcher, we were the state champions. (laughs) Something for us to learn. It's worth it. It's worth it. Okay, finally, number four. To produce conditions necessary for the sheep to lie down, there must be freedom from fear of hunger. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He does not generally recognize that many of the great sheep countries of the world are dry, semi-arid areas. I never knew that. 
Most breeds of sheep flourish best in this sort of terrain. They are susceptible to fewer hazards of health or parasites where the climate is dry. But in these same regions, it is neither natural nor common to find green pastures. For example, Palestine, where David wrote this psalm and kept his father's flocks, especially near Bethlehem, is a dry, brown, sunburned wasteland. Green pastures did not just happen by chance. Green pastures were the product of tremendous labor, time, and skill in land use. Green pastures were the result of clearing rough, rocky land, of tearing out brush and roots and stumps, of deep plowing and careful soil preparation, of seeding and planting special grains and legumes, of irrigating with water and husbanding with care the crops of forage that would feed the flocks. All of this represented tremendous toil and skill and time for the careful shepherd. And what I see is that, you know, Jesus himself, willing to step off of his throne, to be born a baby, to grow up in an earthly home with very imperfect parents, but to grow up, live a sinless life, die an unjust death, be totally misunderstood by the ones he poured his life out to and loved. That was him preparing the pastures for us. You follow me? That was the work he went through so that we could have green pastures to go to. I thought about, you know, when people were coming out on the Oregon Trail, got to get to the Willamette Valley. Man, it's, it's wonderful there. Things grow there. It, it's just, the climate is perfect. It's, we're going to be taken care of till we die. But do we think about the fact that when they got here, there wasn't any grass fields here. There wasn't any hazelnut orchards here. There was, okay, there weren't, well, unfortunately, we're well known for our vineyards and our wine, but there was none, there was none of that here. What was here? What was here? Blackberry. Blackberry. <laughs> Curse from heaven. <laughs> or maybe hell, I should say, but trees. People had to chop down trees to make farmland. You talk about preparation. And then if you go on the other side of the mountains where I grew up, it's desert over there. You say, it's not desert. There's lots of farmland. There is lots of farmland over there. When I was growing up, uh, peppermint was the crop of Central Oregon. We'll say, but it's not a desert. It's, uh, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Back, I think it was in the 30s, maybe the 20s, 20s and 30s, is when men began to build the irrigation system and the canals. And they began to channel the water here and there and over there. And it was very methodical. Don't think they just, hey, let's just start digging ditches. And 
No, they knew exactly where they had to build them. There was a lot to that. So that water could get to the ground so that farmers could grow crops. It doesn't just rain over there until the 1st of June and then grass grows and then chop it down. No, they have to... I mean, we've got irrigation over here as well, but it's nothing like what they have over there. It's elaborate. And I think about that, and I think, wow, now there's an illustration here for us to learn from. God put people to work to prepare ground so that seed could be sown so that crops could grow inside people's hearts that would 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold but it's work I'm a little bit of a rabbit trail but I think it's really a though. Uh, I thought about that man, what an illustration do we look at our lives as children of God as we're, we're going out we're digging ditches Thank you. 
you another huge aspect, but a very important aspect in our church world. God has everything that we need. We have absolutely no, no reason to be afraid of you of all the needs that we hunger after in our hearts, especially. If our hunger is, is, is for Him, He's always there to meet that need. Don't ever doubt.
Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. In the gift of Jesus Christ to each one of you. God has taken you and made you to sit. Made you. Again, here we go again. But He did it. He made you to sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ. Does that sound like... Now, let me ask you something. Does that sound like we got to wait till heaven? Look at that verse a little bit. I challenge you. Let me put it this way. Is the kingdom of God here right now, or do we have to wait till we get to heaven to see it? Is it here? Amen. Does that mean heavenly places are right here, right now? In a sense? In a certain sense? In a kingdom sense, if I can put it that way? I'm, if He's making you sit with Him, even though you can't see Him, It's a kingdom place. It's a heavenly place. Now, we can walk out of that. We can walk away from that. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to be open to correction. If, if you think I'm off in left field, I, please tell me. But I got to thinking about this. He says, He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. As we abide in Him, we get to sit with Him. We can't see Him. But is He here? Is he? Is he with you all the time? Yes, he is. We can trust him. So, God, my ultimate encouragement here is as we look ahead, let, and I'm saying this a lot to myself, let's not look back. at everything that happened in 2020 with disdain and good riddance. Now, there's heartache and pain there, no question. We lost people. People died, loved ones. It's been hard. I'm not going to question that. But I don't think we have to look at it as, ugh, get rid of that. Let's try to look and say, God, help me to see what you were doing. Teach me through this experience. And then help me and help all of us to look ahead to this next year with more faith, more love, more adoration for you, more of a determination to walk with you more closely. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, our faith is on a path where It is going to become more expensive to live out as we go. We've been saying that for years. I think it's going to increase and speed up. Do I like that? Not necessarily. Do I think it might actually be good for God's people? I kind of think it might be. It's inexpensive to be a Christian in America. It's okay if it gets more expensive. But let's look ahead, knowing and trusting that, you know, He is 
as, as bleak as things may look on the outside, his word does say that he maketh, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I can believe that. I can trust that. And so I can rest in that. I hope this is making sense. I feel like I've kind of rambled on a little bit here. I don't know. God, God bless you all. And uh, you know, may, may we go forward by faith, trusting that he has our best in mind. And he will be faithful to guide us and lead us and to guard us and protect us. Thank you.